Well, good morning, Central. So good to be with everyone today. Uh, for those of you who are guests with us, my name is Doug Johnson. I'm our Family Ministries Director here, and I'm very excited just to get to be filling in for Larry today, excited just for this opportunity that we have to gather and to worship and to hopefully grow closer to him this morning. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us one more time, and then we're going to jump into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. That you are a way maker. You are a miracle worker. You are a God who longs to know us. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. I pray that right now in this moment, not only in this room, but all throughout the town of Castle Rock, that your word would be spoken. That we would be able to receive your word with open hearts, open minds, open ears, Lord and that lives would be changed for you and your kingdom. Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 One of my all-time favorite movies is The Blind Side. It's The Blind Side. It, it chronicles the life of a, of a Christian family who take in a homeless young man and help him reach his, his God-given potential. Michael Orr, he not only was able to overcome a very dysfunctional, rough, inner city upbringing, uh, but he went on to become an NFL first round draft pick. And Sean Tui, Michael's adopted father, at a recent fundraiser, he noticed that uh, his family's life was transformed with two words. With two words. And while the event is depicted at night in the movie, it was actually a very cold November morning when Sean and his wife Leanne were driving down the side of the road and they saw Michael walking in shorts and a t-shirt. It was in that moment that Leanne too, he said to her husband two words that changed everything. She told him, turn around. Turn around, and so they did. They turned the car around. They invited Michael into their warm vehicle. They ultimately adopted him into their family. Those same two words can change anyone's life. We can turn around. We can change direction. Our hearts can be healed if we are willing. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 5. And we're going to be forced to answer the question, do I want to be healed? Do I believe I can get well? Am I willing to do life differently than I have always known? Will I turn around? So please open up in your Bibles with me to John chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 1. I highly, highly encourage you. We say this every week. Get God's Word out in front of you. We value God's Word in this house. I promise you this. You're going to get more out of the next 20 or so minutes with God's Word open in front of you following along. So we're going to be in John chapter 5 starting in verse 1. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 
So we know that Jesus, he has commuted uh, back to Jerusalem for Galilee for some sort of festival or feast. We don't know for certain uh, what festival or feast it was. Some scholars believe it were the Passover. Uh, We don't know that for certain. What we do know is that when Jesus has arrived to town and he goes to the temple area, he goes to the temple area and to the north of it lay this pool. And all around the pool, this pool of Bethesda, are sick, blind, lame, paralyzed people surrounding the entire place. That word Bethesda, the Aramaic to English translation is house of mercy. House of mercy, a very fitting name for a place given the desperate need of a miracle for all the people around it. Now you may have noticed, depending on what translation you were following along in, that the back half of verse 3 and verse 4 are not in there. I skipped those. And that is because the earliest manuscripts actually do not include these verses. Any Greek manuscript before AD 400 omits this verse, verse and a half. So it was later added for context. It was later added for context. And if you look down at your footnotes, you'll most likely see it there. I'm going to go ahead and read it for us today, not because I believe that these words are divinely inspired or that they should have been in there, but for the same reason that it was later added, it helps provide context for what's going on around this pool. The later added verse four, it reads, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed were waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Now, the Bible, it nowhere teaches this kind of superstition. But it was a local tradition practiced by many different religions. In fact, the Greeks, they had created this cult following over over a pagan god of healing. And so what most likely was going on were there were these natural waters that would occasionally flow underneath the pool, these natural springs that would cause the pool to occasionally be stirred. It would cause the water to be stirred and to bubble up. And then we really kind of see this this sick game where the the local tradition was to, to pit these handicapped, lame, paralyzed people against each other to see who could get into the water first to be healed by these hypothetical pagan spirits and gods. So in context, as we continue to read, we are not going to see just another miraculous healing account from Jesus. He has walked directly into a pagan territory and confronts a long-standing cultural myth. He wanted his Hellenized Jewish audience to gain a new understanding. He was making the claim that Jesus himself was the true source of healing. He was the source of living water. So Jesus came upon this man. We know that he has been an invalid for 38 years. And what does he say to him? Read with me verse 6. It says, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. At once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. 
do you want to be healed? What a stinking weird question. Like this man has been laying on the ground begging for the better part of four decades. And Jesus walks up to him and is like, hey, uh, want to get better? Want to not have to lay here anymore? Like, of course this man wants to be healed. The question is almost offensive. He's not just hanging out poolside. But, but Jesus, he has a funny way of, of teaching lessons. Oftentimes, instead of lecturing or, or giving direct answers to, to questions or situations, he often challenges his audience with more questions. He was the original Socratic method teacher, so to speak. In fact, 307 times alone, recorded in the Bible alone, Jesus asks a question. And for a man who knew all the answers, that fascinates me. What's even better about our Lord is that many of the questions he asked some 2,000 years ago can be asked to us today. Another favorite teaching tool of Jesus was using metaphors. And one of his favorites was to refer to us humans as sheep. And I'm not a, not a farmer, not a rancher, if you, if you know me well enough, or if you don't know me, you probably could have guessed that. Not, a, uh, not, not an animal expert, uh, but I do have enough insight to know that when Jesus calls us sheep, it's usually not a compliment, okay? They are not, not the sharpest knives in the drawer. And uh, one author, Kara Murphy, she noted uh, when observing sheep that by springtime, a sheep has become so thick with wool that they can barely bend their necks to eat the grass beneath them. They essentially are suffocating beneath the weight of their coats. And if it were up to them, they would never be sheared. They kick, they fight, they scream, they bleat, whatever, whatever sound that sheep makes when it's angry, they're making it with survival instincts in full effect until the moment those buzzers hit their wool. And if a sheep could talk, you would probably confirm that shearing is momentarily uncomfortable. But it's the kind of pain that leads to birth, that leads to growth, that leads to healing, which is why a sheep needs a shepherd, a shepherd who knows what is best for them, a shepherd who is completely committed to their well-being. Not all of us carry our sickness on the outside like these sheep. Some of us are simply soul sick. We carry our ailments on the inside, but just like those sheep, we fear shearing. When we were forced to answer the same question that Jesus asked the man at the pool that day, do we really want to get well? Do we really want to be healed we aren't too sure. Bluntly put, it might hurt. It might hurt. Instead, we keep on living a life of addiction, a life filled with lust, a life where we put our own wants, our own needs, our own desires before any others, a life where we tune out the Holy Spirit, a life with our eyes fixed upon a pool, hoping for a helpless miracle to take place.
I want us to notice in something in verse 7. After Jesus has asked the man if he wants to be healed, he does not even say yes. Rather than truly wanting to be healed, this man found it more comfortable to wallow in doubt and self-pity. He begins to give excuses. I can't do it. I'm not the fastest one in. I don't have anyone to help me. It's just who I am. At the end of the day, just like this lame man at the pool, you and I say the same things and we are suffocating in the weight of our wool. He asks if we are ready to shift our eyes to him. And scripture says we screw our eyes shut. We close our eyes to his healing so we don't have to see what is in his face. Love. Fierce and holy love. The kind of love that scares us with its intensity and requirement for every part of who we are. Because every part of who he was was given so we could secure it. Do we have the faith to hand our sins over to him and say, Lord, I believe you can take this from me. I'm going to be honest, it takes a certain amount of faith to lay it all out on the line. To get help, to be held accountable to go to another man and say, hey, I am struggling with pornography, to go to your spouse and tell them that you have not been faithful. We ask ourselves questions in doubt. What if, what if being willing to be healed isn't enough? What if we want God to heal us, but he just chooses not to? What if we've hurt too many people? What if we've rejected God too many times? All of these questions, Central Bible Church, can be answered by asking once more, one more. Was Jesus Christ's atoning work on the cross enough? Was it enough for you and was it enough for me? Scripture tells us that we are dead in our sins. We are blinded. We are spiritually bankrupt. No matter the deed, we are unable to save ourselves. But because of God's great love, because of God's great mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, there is no sin too deep. There is no sin too wide that will ever keep him from running to you, arms wide open, waiting for you to embrace him. Do you believe it? Look back down at your Bibles with me. After Jesus has healed this man, he tells him to, to take up his bed and to walk. And, and the, the, the authorities, the Jewish authorities, they come up to him and they say, hey, it's the Sabbath. You're, you're not allowed to be carrying your mat. He immediately says, well, that man who healed me, that man whose name I didn't even bother to learn, he's the one who told me to carry it. Jesus finds the man later in verse 14. Jump down with me to verse 14. Jesus found him in the temple and said, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Sin and sickness, they have always been related. When the first sin entered the world, so did death. Before, before sin, there was no cancer. There were no pandemics. There was no heartache. But, but when man chose to disobey the laws of God, all of those things entered the picture. And we see an example of sin and sickness here. 
Many scholars actually believe, based off of the original uh, Greek translation, as well as these words here from Jesus, it, it points us to the idea that sin was actually what left this man cripple to begin with. Not general sin, but his own. He was sick for 38 years because he made himself sick. His lifestyle choices left him there. We don't know what the sin was, but apparently it was serious. It was the kind of sin that completely altered lives. And while all sin and sickness does not have a a one-to-one correlation, I'm not saying if you cheat on your test, you're going to stub your toe. But in this case, this man's sin had consequences. And he was living in them. Now remember, this pool was surrounded by countless sick people. Blind, lame, paralyzed. We don't know what left all of them there. But we do know that Jesus chose to engage the man who put himself there. He was living in the consequences of his own choices, and Jesus reached his arms down to this man. Yet... He runs to the authorities, eager to essentially tattletale on the man who offered him freedom. Last question for us today, are we willing to leave our sins behind? This is something that this man clearly was not ready to do. We have some uh, really good friends, really good family friends who adopted a young boy from Namibia, Africa. And they fostered him for a number of years uh, before he officially was adopted into their family. And on the day uh, that he was set to be adopted, his family and some real close friends, we went down to the courthouse. We went down to the courthouse just to watch the the, the process of him officially becoming a part of of this family. And I remember he was in high school at this point, and uh, the judge looked right down at him, and she asked him, do you want to be a part of this family? And right then and there, this young man, he had a choice to make. He, He could have said no, and the judge would have halted everything. She would not have allowed this family to adopt this young man. Jesus gives us that same option. He gave that man at the pool that same option. Yet he rejected it. Perhaps this man at the pool wanted this new life without a new purpose. When Jesus came to this man by the side of the pool, he was offering him something more than physical healing. He was offering the opportunity to be in relationship with him. Yet he turned the other way. Maybe he wasn't ready to submit to his new loving king. He didn't want to be held accountable or to be discipled. He wasn't ready to lay down his comfortable life of sin, what he had always known. This, however, is what true healing entails. Healing by nature necessitates change. 
If one is healed without being changed, then what happened wasn't healing at all. It was just a temporary fix. That word repent, it means to completely turn around from the life we lived before Jesus. We are called to live a life with a new purpose. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we now are enabled to live a life that glorifies Him, that imitates His. Maybe life has left us feeling like the man at the pool. Sick, broken, without hope. Maybe we're living in the consequences of our own sin. Or maybe we're living in the consequences of someone else's. Maybe we are the sheep who refuse to be helped. Or maybe we just don't believe we can be fixed. No matter where we are, I want to assure us once more, Central Bible Church, that we have a Savior who loves us. We have a good shepherd. We have a God who stands arms wide open, waiting for us to embrace him. Are you willing? Do you want to be healed? Will we turn away from our sins? Do we want to get well? Let's pray.